Welcome to the Women's Health Wisdom and Wine Podcast, a weekly conversation with practitioners, providers, patients, and healers about complex reproductive medicine and women's health challenges, the value of an integrative approach to these challenges, many of the women's health topics you're already thinking about but uncomfortable talking about, and my personal favorite, wine. I'm your host, Dr. Lorena White, an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health provider, licensed acupuncturist, clinical herbalist, and a former labor support doula in the Washington, D.C. metro area. My goal is to bring women's health-specific evidence and expertise to the forefront of daily women's health and wellness news through informative conversations. If you have ideas, questions, and specific topics that you would like us to cover in future podcast episodes, please leave them in the comment section or send us an email at info at lorenawhite.com. To learn more about our team's approach to care, visit our website at www.lorenawhite.com. As you enjoy the podcast, conversations, and wine time, please remember that this podcast is not designed to be a substitute for a bona fide relationship with a licensed or certified healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us for a very special Endometriosis Awareness Month series. In today's episode, Tiffany Davis Nazaire talked with me about living with endometriosis, the myths surrounding endometriosis, and some of the dietary and nutritional aspects of endometriosis care. Let's listen. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are bringing in March with a bang. We're doing something new this March, this month. This month is Endometriosis Awareness Month. And so we're going to have with us in our presence for the whole entire month of March, the illustrious Mm -hmm. Tiffany Davis Nazaire. And you're going to get to hear someone else's voice talk about what life is like living with the diagnosis of endometriosis. But before we get to talking with Miss Tiffany, what I would like to do is just really talk about some of the myths, some of the basics, some of the facts, some of the misunderstandings that often uh, accompany endometriosis. So then when we start this conversation, we're starting off with being educated and then being able to understand what living with endometriosis truly is like. So the basic definition of endometriosis, which a lot of people still don't understand and know, and that's practitioners and clinicians alike, is that endometriosis is the definition, is the, by definition, is is the presence of cells that are similar to, but not identical to, the cells of the endometrium, which is the uterine lining, somewhere else in the body. So by definition, this is ectopic, meaning outside of the the uterus, not tissue that's in in, um, in the uterus. And a lot of times there's the misconception that this is directly related to the uterus because of its intimate connection with menstrual pain and uterine disorders, uterine bleeding, things of that nature. But so that we're working with the same working definition, please know that endometriosis, not cells that are located in the uterus or pretty much in the uterine lining, but we're talking about outside the uterus, someplace the tissue in someplace else that it shouldn't be. So another thing that we talk about is that the endometriotic lesions. These lesions, meanwhile, being outside the uterus, also are mutated lesions, meaning they're not healthy lesions, they're not healthy tissue. And so one thing that we talk about is estrogen dominance or estrogen sensitive and endometriotic lesions, not only are they estrogen sensitive and dominant, they create their own fuel because they make their own estrogen. So when we're talking about, you know, changing diet so that you don't eat as much estrogen enriched foods or hormones and especially synthetic hormones, we're Mm -hmm. not only trying to eliminate and lower the estrogen burden, because guess what? These lesions can make their own estrogen anyway. And so they're already creating their own fuel and what you're doing by, you know, eating foods that may have some type of estrogen or estrogen-like factor or synthetic hormones, you're pretty much throwing a lighted cigarette or a lighted lit match on an, on gasoline um, or gasoline or, you know, something else on an, art, an already burning fire. You're just causing it to spread. So 
with no further ado, let's get started. And as we begin this Endometriosis Awareness Month, like I mentioned before, we're going to be talking with a person who is living their life with an endometriosis diagnosis. So Tiffany, please introduce yourself and tell us briefly about your life with endo. Okay, thank you so much for the introduction. Thank you for this space and this platform and I'm helping to spread awareness about endo. It's so important. So thank you. Um, hi everyone, my name is Tiffany. As Dr. White said, um, I'm a registered nurse by profession of almost 17 years. Can't believe it's been that long, but 17 years. Um, I'm an endo warrior. I am one in 10. And some numbers now state that that is one in seven, um, depending on which source you are using. Um, I am a COVID survivor. And I'm also a Yusui uh, Reiki 2 practitioner. Look at you. So I'm really excited about that. Okay. Yes. Yes. We'll get into that a little bit later. Yes, we but, definitely um, will. We're going to touch on that a lot. Like I said, we have the whole <laughs> month to talk to you. So you're not going yes. anywhere. We're going to no. have a conversations. You've given us all the inside scoop. Uh, so let's get started. We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about starting off with, because we're going to really this whole month, we probably be talking about different myths and different things that come up when we talk about endometriosis. So we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about some common myths in this, mm -hmm. um, this episode. So often endometriosis is talked about as primarily and often solely as an uh, uterine disease or condition. But by definition, yep. as we talked about it before, endo is <clears throat> extra uterine in nature, meaning outside the uterus. Please talk about endometriosis as a whole body condition. Okay. Um, well, first of all, I am currently flaring. So I am propped up on pillows. So y'all going to get the, this bed pose and these pillows. <laughs> Transparency. Look. Yeah. This is what it my is. My endo is just like, my endo is just like, look, we're going to be real authentic today. So go. you won't even have to fake your authenticity. Just show up. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, so yes, endo is a full body disease. Most people just think, oh, you have bad cramps or oh, you have, you know, just this only when you're on your period. Right. No, full body. Endometriosis has been found on every major organ except the spleen. Now that may have changed since the last time that I read the stats a few months ago, but every single organ. So yes, that is your heart. Yes, yes that is your brain, yes. your lungs, yes. all of those things. Your Endo eyes, has been your everywhere. Abdomen, I, your everywhere. Everywhere. Yes. Everywhere. Yeah. Yes. And so, you know, along with all the other symptoms, the bloating, the varying degrees of pain, the sensations that defy all aspects of science, gravity, logic, anything. <laughs> like, the, you know, it's just everything and then you also have the um the physical debilitating uh, the physically debilitating symptoms as well as the emotional mm -hmm. toll that it takes on you so yes total mind body spirit it involves everything. Full bodied means full bodied. And I think a lot of times yes. people like literally, like you said, don't understand. They think uterus, endometriosis, period. So it must be like just really bad cramps. And that's all mm -hmm. the average person can think of. And that's one thing that even for myself, knowing that it's a full bodied condition, but again, black women, we are prone to having so many other conditions on and not just endometriosis, but other conditions and diseases that plague us and they're exacerbated mm -hmm. by endometriosis diagnosis. So when we think about that, we're also looking at, you know, the other signs and symptoms and we're going to talk about the main one. So, which brings us to signs and signs and symptoms. Um, we're going to definitely discuss this in more detail later on in this episode and in this series, but how did you initially present with endometriosis prior to an official diagnosis? Um, so I started my period around like age 11, 12, um, okay. that used to be considered early, but now I know there's like eight and nine, yeah. right? Definitely. So, so um, I had always had painful periods, but never, um, went to the doctor for it was something that my family had had for years, painful periods. You take some ibuprofen, you lay down, you rest. It's just how it is right? right so 
August 27th, 1999. I'm getting ready for high school. It was a Friday. It was the first football game of my junior year of high school. Um, I'm getting ready and I just double over in pain. I'm grabbing my right side and I pass out. Oh my goodness. My dad takes me to the ER and her, you know, now being a nurse, I know mm-hmm. what I would have thought. Oh, Appy, this is, I had all the signs. It hurt when I walk. It hurt to jump. It, you know, hurt when right. you press. Um, so they worked me up for an Appy. So I had all the tests, blood By work. By the way, Appy means uh, appendix. Appendicitis. 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 Yes. yes. Um, she's in the she's in the industry, so she'd be using a lot of sorry, a lot of acronyms <laughs> yes. and short terms. But I'll do my best to try to make sure we're all on the same yes. page. So, yes. or appendicitis. Yes. Yes. Um, And so after all that, they did give me pain medicine to get my pain to a tolerable level. And they were like, "Okay, we need you to go see this doctor today. Like, Mm -hmm. go straight there. Do not pass. Go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Just go straight there. Right. Right. And I get there and Dr. Judith K. Favor. Love her still to this day. um, Was just like, well, you need surgery. You have a cyst on your ovary let's do surgery she just thought she was going in to she probably had a clue that it may Mm -hmm. have been but we're gonna go in we're gonna get the cyst and you should feel better well after surgery she's like well you have endometriosis we were not able to save your left ovary my pain was on the right side but it was my left ovary we weren't able to save it so at 16 i'm starting with half go back yes i want you to talk about just that portion your pain was on the what side was your pain on? My pain was on the right side, Where but was it was my left, thing? left. So I was gripping what I thought was right side, whatever, mm-hmm. but it was the left. So that's referred pain. That's, mm-hmm. that's another complication because your mm-hmm. appendix is on the right. So that would be the first mm-hmm. thing that, you know, when you hear hoof prints, do you think zebra or do you think horse? Do you think horse because zebra doesn't make sense? Um, but just that alone just that alone is a portion of this that's just, it's complex. That's complex, yes. just getting to the diagnosis. So continue. So um, right then and there afterwards, she was just like, well, you know, um, we had to take the left ovary and I'm 16, I don't understand. And I'm still groggy from the anesthesia and everything. Right. So she's talking to my parents. I'm picking up a little bit, um, you know, and they ask about, you know, fertility. And she's like, she shouldn't have any issues. We have a plan for it. We're going to do A, B, and C. I didn't think anything else of it. I'm 16. I didn't think to ask questions. I didn't think, how is this going to affect me in the future? I thought it was like the appendix. You take mm-hmm. out the appendix and you feel better and you go on about your, you know. Yeah. Um, I just knew that I had to take this medicine. Um, so after surgery at 16, I was on birth control until age 33. And I took the packs consecutively. So I was on a combination of Lupron. I was on Depo. And then I was on the pill. Okay. But I took them consecutively. I never had a period for 17 years. Wow. Until I got married and then we started trying to conceive and I came. Game changer. Wow. Like I was selected as tribute. That's (laughs) 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 Oh, okay. Okay, this is what we're doing. All right. Oh wow. Okay, Okay. so just a small recap. You get the diagnosis. You think it's on the right. It's actually on the left. There's actually an endometrioma. We'll talk about the definition of what that yeah. actually is. But an ovarian cyst, which is not a typical ovarian cyst. It's an endometriotic ovarian cyst, special type, to the point that was so big, so large, so invasive, so insert word, that it wasn't just... It, Go ahead. It had grown a stem and wrapped around my ovary so that it was basically like cutting off blood supply. To my ovary, okay. pain is coming from. There is no now blood supply to a particular mm-hmm. portion of your body. So now you wake up with one less ovary than you had when you went into surgery. A whole less ovary. Mm-hmm. A whole less yep. ovary. Okay. So now, I mean, yep. this is this is real life. This is a real person. This is an exaggeration. This is life with endometriosis. So we talked about the painful periods. That is beyond the basic type of pain, but a different type of pain that you 
typically can't even describe this goes beyond painful periods. I remember at one time you gave me a definition of what oh, I had was it. like. I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> and so just because I need people to understand that we're not talking a bad period. We're like, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. we're talking pain that makes you miss school, work for multiple days. Like you're out for the count for literally multiple uh, long periods of time. So please describe endometriosis pain. So my pain um, at one point, um, it was like someone is taking a garden rake to my uterus and repeatedly scraping. There's a vice grip on my ovaries and lasers burning holes right through me. It's worse in my rectum and it's shooting up to the top of my legs. It also feels like it's sitting in, not on, but inside my pelvis and all that happens at the same time while my entire pelvis is surrounded in barbed wire. That's what it feels like. And that's what, that was almost every day for me. And we'll talk about my, my breakthrough, (laughs) but that was almost every day for me. And then like on the white side, it, it, at one point it felt like, an elf donned shoes with spikes or knives and did a less than ginger trot across <laughs> my ovaries. So you've got this little elf with these little just spiked knife shoes and just river dancing. River dancing. River dancing. That's, that's what I, <laughs> that's exactly what I pictured was river dancing all over your pelvis, your inside, the pelvic cavity, your ovaries, everything. And I know we are chuckling and laughing about this, but it's not a laughing matter when you're the one experiencing it. I think the comedy in this is that that is a definition of somebody's pain and also growth and that you're able to laugh through your pain. Um, Mm -hmm. But in that moment, there's nothing funny about that. But that description, while comedic in nature, is the description, a very vivid description that I don't even think I would would or could wish on my worst enemy and there are people who live like that every single day because this was every. not for you just during the seven days of menstruation mm-hmm. or one day out of the month this was every day for you and yet you were expected to go to work go to school just get on with activities of daily living but you can't but you right. can't so um you mentioned in your description not necessarily painful sex, but you definitely mentioned some painful bowel movements, potentially um, painful urination. Um, And this hereditary component um, is something that you just don't, you show up, you were, you got a period at 11 or 12, symptoms started to be excruciating, you know, unnecessarily excruciating around, you said 17? Um, I would say around, 13 13 17 is when you were on birth got on birth control yeah okay so we're talking well 16 yeah yeah from 11 to 13 where things started to like pretty much get out of hand and this exaggeration of symptoms when you get to you know a healthcare provider or somewhere even in the emergency room that can be often misdiagnosed she talked about appendicitis um Mm -hmm. And just the chronicity of this, this isn't something that just goes on, you know, cyclically with your cycle. This is something that is an everyday aspect of living and knowing that there's no cure, but healing is possible. Um, it is positive to pause. It is possible to live with endometriosis. And we're going to continue talking about that, but then all the and, other comorbidities, go ahead. And I do want to say like, I, you know, some people may hear my story and be like, oh, my goodness, I was lucky mm-hmm. that I only suffered for about five years because there are people who, yep. you know, on average, it takes 10 years to get mm-hmm. a diagnosis. You cannot yep. be diagnosed with endo without surgery. It has to be diagnosed with surgery and, yeah. you know, a report has to be done on the tissue. So for people that don't get that diagnosis, that don't get the relief or they don't get that comfort in knowing it's not just me, you know, there's really something wrong. Those are the people that I'm just like, this is who we need to help. These are the people who aren't being listened to. So yeah, 10 years in average to get diagnosed with endometriosis. That's that's insane. Like there's no reason why 
the country with the best healthcare system or we, you know air quotes <laughs> in the world and it takes people that long and it's not just here you know this is all over the world but i do feel like here we do have it worse off as far mm-hmm. as work as far as your life and just trying to live with endo and right. do all the other things that you have to show up for right and when we talk about comorbidities or other conditions that, you know, endo just is going to tag along for the ride, exacerbating everything else. But there is a slight increased risk of ovarian cancer with an endometriosis diagnosis. Autoimmune conditions also accompany, potentially accompany an um, endometriosis diagnosis. Extra fatigue. And <laughs> endometriosis also will exacerbate and sometimes mimics IBS. So you're looking at all these different ways that one can experience endometriosis and none of them are going to be the same. And that evolution is also going to change. So, you know, someone's how they present that first presentation may not be what, how they're experiencing endometriosis right now. And you hit on that 10 year sweet spot that it takes to even make a diagnosis or to get a correct diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And some endometriosis starts off really, really brutal. And it's like, just comes out the gate intense. Some, it creeps up. Um, But the important thing is you cannot be too young to get a diagnosis. And I've heard that she's only X, Y, Z years old. So she can't have endometriosis. And again, that's where that delay in getting a proper diagnosis comes from. And so, again, just keeping these things in mind, and we're, we're taking time through this because I want each one of these points to stick out so that we can start not just the awareness, but starting to respect people's lives a little bit differently, especially as employers, which, again, will be another episode. And, but, even, and even within the endo community, and especially those outside, you know, that support us or those that, you know, you don't really know what endo is. There are four stages, you know, stage one mm-hmm. to stage four, stage four being the most severe degree of endo. But someone with stage two can have more debilitating symptoms than someone with stage four. Absolutely. So your staging does not always um, correlate with the amount of pain um, that you might have. So that's right. another important aspect because um, a lot of people with endo don't know that. Yes. And I want to touch on that a little bit more because you hit a great point that staging doesn't equal symptoms or the level of symptoms you have. And the endometriotic lesions are, those are the stages describing those lesions, whether that be the nerve growth, the inflammation, the adhesions, the scarring, which can lead to infertility. Again, we'll talk about that later on. Mm -hmm. And what adhesions means is that your tissue starts to stick together like glue. So things that should not be sticking together, now your organs are literally starting to stick together. And again, pain comes from that too. Think Spider-Man. There you go, the webbing. Think Spider-Man, like just webbed. Everything is webbed and stuck together. And inflamed. So those webs are also on fire and they're sticking together. And every time Mm -hmm. you move, just like a web would be, they're pulling apart or trying to pull apart. So now you have these things that are on fire. They're stuck together like glue. So you're trying to pull them apart. They're on fire. They're burning. They're inflamed. They're scarred over. So they're already different type of tissue. This is happening in somebody's body. And I think a lot of people also don't know is that and Tiffany already highlighted is that the staging has nothing to do with the symptoms. It has, it was developed by the ASRM, the society of reproductive medicine, and it's reflecting a person's ability to become pregnant and has nothing to do with pain. It has nothing Mm -hmm. to do with heavy bleeding. It has nothing to do with anything that we would think it does. It has to do with your reproductive ability and stage one or two means they're minimal or mild um endometriotic lesions um anywhere around the diaphragm um and that stage three or four i mean those things are superficial um those lesions are around the peritoneum they can feel you know almost like wet spaghetti and it's interfering with like the lubrication when we think about lubrication think wet spaghetti everything kind of slides off but when these lesions get to be higher in grade they become harder fibrotic they stick together they're not as flexible. And so now you're looking at 
staging three or four, that's the depth of invasion. So when we're not talking about the severity of the pain, we're talking about the depth of invasion of endometriotic lesions into these tissues. We're talking the liver, the spleen, the kidney, the bowel, large intestine, small intestine, stomach, and then further on into the bladder, the rectum, the ovaries, the fallopian tubes. I mean, these are all the places that we're talking about, the invasion of these endometriotic lesions. And this is when we get to that moderate or severe area. And in 10 years, a lot of those areas can be affected. Yes. In 10 years of evolution, 10 years of development, a lot of those things can be um, a lot of those things can be affected. So again, we talked about endometrioma before we go a little further. What stage were you when you were diagnosed? You know, that, when I saw um, that question, I'm just like, ooh, and I am on a mission to go back and try to find out. I don't know what stage I was. Um, I just know what stage I was okay. um, in my surgery in my 30s after I come off the birth control. I was okay. stage four at that point, but okay. I don't remember what I was at 16. Okay. okay. I'll and have that for you for the next episode. Surely, surely. And the thing is, <laughs> I'm asked because I wanted to see so people could see how quick or how slow or how, you know, that evolution was for you. And it's not, again, not going to be the same for everyone, but where you started <clears throat> in your diagnosis or where and where you ended up by the time you were in your, in your 30s. Continue. So to speak to that, so 16... I have surgery and then like my follow-up appointment at some point I was put on Lupron. Okay. Which is like another um, hormonal um, suppressant for female reproduction. It's also used for some other things, but specifically for me, it was used um, as a suppression to suppress okay. my system. And then depot and then pills on those for 17 years mm -hmm. and the thought was well if we suppress your system mm -hmm. then the endo won't grow lies the lies. lie detector test determined <laughs> that was a huge lie the biggest lies. one of all because I had no clue about the war mm -hmm. <laughs> that was happening on the inside of my body. Endo was like moving in silence. So no, I didn't feel anything. I was living my best life. Yeah, I've got endo, but whoop, I have mm -hmm. no pain. I have this. And Meanwhile, then I come off of the, the birth control. Back at the ranch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. another thing again, we're, and again, I keep saying this, we're going to talk about this later because I want to make sure we're really giving <laughs> time to these specific topics is that synthetic hormones are still hormones, but they're also hijacking your own body chemistry. They're also feeding the thing that is living and thriving off of in, in, um, estrogen and increasing some mm -hmm. synth synthetic estrogen in their environment. So not only are they creating their own, you're continuously feeding it. And so you're creating a monster. You're just creating a monster that's living in, in silence inside your body. But like, Hey, if she going to feed us, <laughs> we, we got a home. Here. Think little shop of horrors. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Hey, us, where else are we going? And we can mm -hmm. multiply too. Cause all she's doing is giving us more of the thing that we are craving. And we already got some gas in the tank too. It's just like, it's just the perfect storm for chaos perfect storm. Internally, internally. And again, mm -hmm. you mentioned an endometrioma. So I want to go back to that because that was kind of what was wrapped around your fallopian tube. And it's a special type of endometrial cyst that happens on the ovary. And they're very common. Ovarian cysts in general are very common. Mm -hmm. Cyclically, they grow, they decrease, they don't cause pain, and they can get super, super large. And I had one that was like eight centimeters large. I didn't even know I had one until I had an ultrasound. And they were like, you're not in any pain? And I was like, what are you talking about? Wasn't in any pain, nothing. I had serial ultrasounds in the next three months. There was no sign that there had ever been anything there. So that yeah. does happen physiologically. But when it grows and grows and grows and causes torsion and twisting and, you know, squeezing off other organs and interfering with the processes of other organs, that's not healthy or normal. Um, and so, again, the size counts, the number, the adhesions, the scarring, all these things are yeah. factoring into these processes that are going on in the 
pelvic cavity, but not necessarily inside the uterus. So when we talk about right. the um, depth of invasion, sometimes you'll see on a scan, if you've had a readout, it'll say deep infiltrative endometriosis. That will be talking about your staging and grading. So again, frozen pelvis, you'll often hear that when you talk about pelvic floor physical therapy. And that's just a description in... I guess, clinical terms of all that webbing, all of that scarring, all those adhesions that are literally being visibly present on that scan. And again, autoimmune disorders, scar tissue, everything, you know, all those different things. So we'll find out what stage you were in. So let's talk about the pretty much the progression and the evolution of your particular endometriosis. How have your symptoms changed over time and as the endometriosis itself has progressed? Um, so I told you about, um, how it was when I came off. Cause I really feel like, yeah, I had that bout when I was 16, but I really did not get to know endo mm -hmm. until my thirties after I came off of birth control. And it was monthly visits to the, um, to the hospital. I was in the ER once, maybe twice a month, right. every single month. Wow. Um, just debilitating pain, couldn't sleep, couldn't get comfortable. It hurt to stand up, hurt to sit down, hurt to lie down. It, it, it was, it was awful. Yeah. Um, and I had maybe one good week out of the month. Could actually, you know, work out. Where mm -hmm. I, I mean, I was pretty. Um, I had one good week out of the month, and the rest of the time, it was some sort of pain. And then definitely during my period, it was like, okay, man down. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you all, you know about the whole um, opioid pandemic. And mm -hmm. so it got to the point where you go in and you just pray that you get someone who has enough compassion to actually know or have a grasp at what you're going through and will actually give you something to help because I've got ibuprofen, I've got Tylenol at home. I'm here. I don't want to be here. I'm here right. because I need relief. Um, so that became a challenge. Um, and nothing against the ER docs, but just professionals in general are not prepared. Um, they're not taught. Um, and then there's, you know, a whole... Um, socioeconomic there's a whole you know racial part that plays into that as well um but I would say in 20 I got married in 2015 so I came off of birth control so I would say January 2016 is when it got real um and I basically suffered all the way until February 2nd of 2019 19 You'll, you'll know um, why, that, why that date, why I know that date momentarily, maybe not in this episode. But, yeah. um, but since then, I, I found a practitioner, not just one, but a group of practitioners that know what I'm going through. So first of all, they were knowledgeable. Um, they heard me. I felt valued. I felt all of these things. I felt empowered because I suffered in silence. I didn't want anybody to know. I, I was ashamed. Mm. And it wasn't until I was surrounded by this group of people that I was just like, you know what? This is empowering. That's when I found my voice. That's when I started speaking on social media. That's when I was finding different groups. And so my endo did progress it, it did get worse, but there are so many other things that came out of it that are positive. Um, so right now, like I said, I'm, I'm nursing a flare, but four days ago, you know, I was with family and I felt nothing. Mm -hmm. So that is a huge change from what it was. And a lot of that is because of acupuncture. It is because of... Um, steaming vaginal steaming it's because of um pelvic massage and um pelvic physical therapy what else did I do Chinese herbs mm -hmm. um just continuing my workout routine yoga um reiki all of the and diet diet was mm -hmm. a huge part of it and please hear me when I say this 
it will be different for every single person. Right now, I follow the blood type diet, and that's really what works for me. Um, but, you know, some people say, oh, you need to stop eating meat. You need to be vegan. I think that's great. If it works for some people, it did not work for me. Um, but I am mostly plant-based. Mm -hmm. So, um, And I think I a lot of those foods, happy. when you talk about it, are what foods are inflammatory. And they're, in every food group, there's still you can have vegetables that are inflammatory. You can have meat yes. that's inflammatory. You can have yes. fruit that's inflammatory. You can have, you know, starches that are inflammatory. So it's not a set mm -hmm. of, it's not, well, I'm going to take all the meat out of my diet and things are going to be okay. Because right. now you don't have endometriosis, but now you're anemic. Okay, so now you've just gone from one case of something one to thing another. To the other. And all those <laughs> things are imbalances that are going to cause endometriosis to flare, rear its ugly head and present itself at the least. And prosper. <laughs> right, right. And grow. Um, and so again, like you said, nothing is going to be perfect for everyone, but we got to use the information that you do have about you, your body, the condition to really work with the thing that or the entity that is in your body and how you're responding and reacting to it. So and, as we mm -hmm. talk, what are some of the myths? And I want you to just go, go all the way in about endometriosis that you'd like people to stop propagating. And how do these myths hurt people living with endometriosis? Okay. I'm going to put on my, my voice, okay. get pregnant. You just need to get pregnant and your symptoms will get better. Lies. That's one. Stop it. Like Lies. three years ago. Stop it. Please. Yes. Oh, you should just go vegan and relieve so many of your symptoms. While that is not totally untrue, that's not true for every single person. So, you know, just be mindful when you tell people that. Um painful periods are a way like, oh, it's just a painful period. Oh, that's just how the endometriosis goes. I actually had one of my doctors say, oh, that's just how the endometriosis is. Let me just call you on a prescription. Mm. Were you the same doctor who gave me the birth control? Were you that same doctor who gave me the estrogen synthetic based? Estrogen? There's been a string of them, but that particular okay. one, yes, yeah, she checks both boxes. Both yeah. boxes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you were um, problem. Okay. Continue. Don't believe that Western medicine is your only way of treating things. Listen, Google. Yeah. Bing, whichever you want to use, <laughs> it is your friend. Yeah. Do your research and don't just take the word of a practitioner to be gospel. Because again, right. a lot of them are not trained. Mm -hmm. Um and or that's another aware. And aware, aware. Exactly. Because I think, I mean, and we'll, again, talk about this later. That's going to be my new phrase for everything now throughout this whole series. I can <laughs> see. But there are certain, just like you wouldn't take hmm, a Ferrari to Jiffy Lube to get an oil change. <laughs> why are you going to go to your family practitioner to help you manage your endometriosis? Like, it's not necessary. It's just, it's not even fathomable that you would do such. If you had a heart condition. Would you go to your family practitioner? You might start there, but you're going to go to a cardiologist, someone who knows, right. breathes, lives, owns, like have immersed themselves, dedicated themselves to this condition to help you. You're not going to go to your OB to deal with your, your, your heart condition. She may be a part of your team, but that's going to, she's going to be satellite. That cardiologist, that person who is literally maybe even a subspecialist in some, some, discipline of cardiology is going to be your go-to and I think sometimes we take that for granted because we're thinking it's a reproductive health condition my OB-GYN is going to know there's and they're going to have limited knowledge because we don't go in like that in school right. we learn about the condition right. and, and what we little bit we do know it's kind of like a painful period and that's what happens afterward and you can't get a diagnosis without a surgical intervention. And so do you want someone who's gonna do surgery to tell you that you have endometriosis or someone who's going to have a surgical intervention and be able to do something about it? Someone who's gonna actually be able to like that part. do something about it in the moment. Cause if you're gonna have surgery just for me to tell you, hey, you got endo, 
guess what? You still have endometriosis and the symptoms and all the things that were causing you to go there in the first place. Now you're going to have to have another surgery no. to get rid of it. And guess what? With each consecutive surgery, you got more scarring, Scar more adhesions, more pain, more webbing, more inflammation. So now the surgeries are now being a complicating factor of the original infraction, which is the endometriosis itself. Right. And you can have, and I know who they are. I mean, they're all over, but they're not a lot of them. No. Surgeons who specialize in, like, that's all they do is endometriosis surgery. Like, that's yes. what their day, day in, day out, that's all they do. And those are the people that can, when you get your scans, they can look at your ultrasound or your MRI and see some of the findings and look and see, and they can say, oh, I can make that diagnosis because that's what they do every single day. That is right. their specialty. So right. a part of this process is getting a proper diagnosis on day one, getting a second opinion, not just a surgery with anybody, not because all surgeons aren't created equal and that's for anything, No. Um, mm -mm. but seeking out an expert and it might not be that doctor that's 15 minutes away from your home. In fact, I can guarantee you, unless you live in a large metropolis, that surgeon is not going to be 15 out minutes away from your home. You may have mm -hmm. to go out of state. You may have to go on the other side of your state. You may have to go to, you know, the next big city to find an expert who knows how to perform a healthy endometriosis surgery, make that diagnosis yeah. and then clean it up. Yeah. So that means you're going to have to advocate for yourself. You cannot expect yes. your primary care physician or your family doctor to advocate for you about something they know nothing about or not familiar with talking about or not even aware of the complexities of. And this is no shade. This is no. But at the same time, no one can advocate better for you than you because you know what you're living with every single day. And keep in mind that doctors work for you and not the other way around. So if something's not working, you don't have to stay there continuing to be right. literally mistreated, misdiagnosed, yes. and getting that repeat action day in and day out. That's not, the, that's not a healthy patient-practitioner relationship. And it's not just surgery for the sake of surgery. It's, sake, it's surgery for the sake of diagnosis and remediation. You want someone who can go in there, not just, a, hey, this is what you got, but someone who also can say, oh, this is what you had, this is what we saw, this is what we did, and now surgery is that first step, not the ultimate step, because that's the first step in your healing is getting that diagnosis. Anything else you'd like to add to that part in terms of any more myths? Um, hysterectomies don't cure endo. Ooh, and, and they talked about how about this, this stuff is outside. It's ectopic. It's, right. you know. Right. Perfect. Yes. I feel like that's, I think that's the, one of the most common ones that the common myth that I hear is, well, just get a hysterectomy. So meanwhile, back at the ranch, that grinds my ears. You, have, that grinds you still my have an abdominal cavity. You still have a pelvic cavity. So now that your uterus is taken out and now you're going to definitely have some pelvic floor issues because there's a gaping hole where your uterus used to be. Now you have a whole <laughs> pelvic cavity that's empty where the webbing and the scar tissue and everything can now start to proliferate. And the inflammation now just has a place to continue to grow because there's an abdominal cavity and a pelvic cavity that can just be full of adhesions and Yep. Again, we're back at square one. So that's, I think that's my favorite myth, and I'm glad you um, touched on it. One of the biggest takeaways in general is even if you don't, even if you go and you have a doctor who is not an ex expert, have them take tons and tons and tons of closed, close, detailed pictures. We're talking about pictures of the pelvis, on either side of the rectum, the ovaries, beneath the ovaries, under the bladder, deep into the pelvis, looking at the pelvic side walls, the uterus, make sure they're close and detailed because again, an expert can look at those pictures and help without a surgery, without another intervention and tell you either I can, I can help you with this, this is endometriosis or it's not. Um, right. And bring this info with you to a specialist because again, a specialist can make these determinations where mm -hmm. a, general practitioner cannot. And yep. that includes your OB, OBGYN. Yes. So to reiterate, there is no magic pill or even an endo diet mm -hmm. that will cure you from endometriosis. However, 
Overall diet, food, nutrition, sometimes supplements can help prevent the exacerbation of symptoms. What have you found to be particularly helpful for you in your lived experience? Um, the first thing that I know that helped was acupuncture and Chinese um, herbal medicine. Okay. Um, um, yoga. It helps to stretch everything out. It's low impact. So um, that's what I'll do if I'm not able to do anything else when I'm having a flare. I'll do yoga. Okay. okay. Um, following the blood type diet, just getting my eating um, better for endo specifically because it's one thing to eat a healthy diet, but if you're not eating to address something specific, then you may be doing more harm than good. So that's, um, that's really, really important. Um, and finding a practitioner, yeah. um, finding a practitioner, finding that team that is going to listen to you and be just as concerned about your health as you are. Um, they, they are out there. Um, some of them are hard to find because there are so many others that try to play the role instead of just saying, Hey, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is the real answer. That is the real answer. We don't know, but Mm -hmm. there are also things that we know we can do in terms of, okay, there's inflammation. We can at least at the very least address the inflammatory aspects the webbing, the adhesions, there are things that we can do to start breaking those apart. So they're not going to continuously be a pain. And I love how you highlighted the multifactorial approach. You didn't mention going to one person, doing yoga every day, all day, becoming a yogi, becoming, you know, anything, pain specialists, dietitians, nutritionists, pelvic for physical therapy, other mind body practitioners. It wasn't just one thing. It was a multifactorial approach to manage the pain and the chronicity of this condition. So and go ahead. To highlight that, almost all of those modalities were not the first options or the first treatment options that Western medicine would offer you. Right. So I can't stress enough how important it is to do your own research. Um for things and like I said it may be that's another myth there's like that acupuncture there's not enough evidence that acupuncture will adequately resolve your endo like I actually read that um Mm -hmm. uh, an insurance company gave me that reason for not paying for my endo like it's it's (laughs) very ridiculous Mm -hmm. but and just don't be afraid insurance coverage stop you from getting the help that you need. And again, this is a symptom of a broken healthcare system. Mm -hmm. It is not a reflection on you and your ability to pay. It's a reflection on the nature, the broken nature of a healthcare system. Right. Again, this is a time where you maximize your HSA, maximize that FSA. So you don't have to skip a beat, especially when you know have a chronic condition, because there are very few things that are going to be covered by insurance, especially the things that actually might lead to getting you on a healing journey versus a painful right. one. Um, right. Endometriosis cannot only be managed with medicine. You can take all the painkillers in the world and guess what? One day the painkillers will no longer be effective. You will dump the whole bottle, take popping pills every hour on the hour. And all it's doing is taking the edge off, but you're still in pain. People oh. involved. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. CBD, um, CBD, CBD, of course, um, a reliable heating pad. (laughs) I have three, I have, I have three backups just because if one goes on the fridge, like I don't need that type of anxiety. (laughs) Like I don't have anxiety, but there are certain things that definitely like make my heart raise. Um, yeah, so it's been almost all, holistic mm-hmm. original medicines original therapies yes. that have really helped me um like i said everyone is different that you castor utilize oil. castor oil packs mm-hmm. castor oil packs essential oils mm-hmm. um as well oh what i had to do was in in my research 
figure out there you talked about the outside factors the um pseudo estrogens like the estrogen like mm -hmm. things yes. there are so many of them they're called xenoestrogens mm -hmm. and what they do is they mimic estrogen yep they yep. mimic estrogen in the body and a lot of exposure comes from laundry detergent mm -hmm. um cosmetic products yeah um dryer sheets so i had to completely like take out all of that stuff and when it became a matter of okay well this is too much of an expense mm -hmm. um i started making my own body butters and everything yes. um so that's one thing that you'll actually have to look at as well what are all the outside sources of estrogen that you can safely eliminate yeah it's a lifestyle um, change. It's oh, not just a dietary yep. change. Mm -hmm. It's not just a pain medicine change. Your whole life is going to change. And yeah. is it inconvenient? Yes. We're going to talk about, you know, Absolutely. dietary aspects of these things and preparing your foods and knowing where and when you can eat. And that is that can be challenging. That can be rough knowing that. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, it, you could be, you know, menstruating and you have the wrong food and a whole month later or a couple weeks later, ovulation could become the painful part of your cycle. Yeah. It's, I think a lot of times we think of, Oh, I had a reaction. I ate this. I had a reaction. It's going to happen tomorrow, but you don't even know when the manifestation of something that went awry today, when that's going to show up later on in terms of endometriosis and food has so much to do with hormone production, hormone regulation. And because estrogen is a hormone and endometriosis is estrogen is a hormone and endometriosis is hormone driven, meaning an excess of estrogen. There's so many foods that affect that hormone balance and hormone regulation. So for you, Tiffany, living with and a diagnosis of endometriosis, there are a lot of things that seem to be relatively out of control. Of, out of your personal control and mm -hmm. food is more than just nutrition food selection yes. provides a person living with endometriosis an option for direct investment in their own care yet this process comes with social implications oftentimes consuming food preparation and planning time-consuming mm -hmm. food and preparation and planning intentional commitment in terms of your lifestyle change and ultimately the cost of your time how do you balance the emotional comfort of the now with the physical discomfort and sometimes pain of later when making food choices? So my motto for almost everything is balance. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We still have to live. Yep. So what I try to do is, okay, where are you in your cycle? <laughs> um, are you going to start your cycle in a week? Are you going to start your cycle in three days? Because if you are, maybe just half a glass of wine mm -hmm. or a full glass instead of two. Mm -hmm. um, make sure you drop some of that CBD inside your wine or take some of your mm -hmm. CBD before. That has really helped me. But um, if it's an indulge. If it's if I want to indulge and I know I've been pretty good, pretty consistent, I indulge. Yeah, we have to live, um, and that's the thing that I want to tell people living with endometriosis or even those that are supporting someone with endo. You can do everything right, mm -hmm. and your endo will still go off script. Okay, mm -hmm. like yeah. you're on set one, and endo is like down the street, around the corner, <laughs> underneath the overpass. <laughs> you know on a whole other movie set right you can do everything right, right and your endo can still flare so just don't forget to balance your endo you still have to still have to have fun and again if people around you don't understand or they're unwilling to mm. um switch things up or you know sacrifice some things when you go out for instance there may be like I, dairy i can't do dairy Mm -hmm. Um, and I have a gluten sensitivity, so that is huge. Eliminate That's a options. lot of things. Yeah. yeah. So just make sure you surround yourself with people that understand and that, you know, they're going to suggest things or say, Hey, I know this place has this, but I looked at the menu and I know you can have a, B and C. Right. That's who you want on your team, yeah. you know, 
everyone may not get it fully. Certain people right. aren't going to get it. Some people are going to be annoyed because you, some people are going to be annoyed because you cancel plans because you don't feel well. And you may already experience that. Let them go. Ooh. Yeah. Let and, them and that's go. that's even challenging. Even when we talked about social implications, realizing that are your friends really your friends if they can't embrace this aspect of you only when you're showing up for them but exactly. not being able to understand and support and show up for you even if that means you can't participate and exactly you mentioned wine and I think a lot of people think of like you know wine alcohol in the same category but when we think about alcohol what's the basis the wheat and how it's made um, saturated and trans fat foods gluten red meat caffeine and again, we're not talking about the grass-fed beef. We're talking about the Taco Bell, estrogen-laden, estrogen um, lower-grade meats that are not curated and cultivated well. Um, we're talking about all the other things. When I mean, it's about packaging. Maybe you need to get your meats from a butcher. That doesn't mean stop eating red meat. That means mm -hmm. get better quality. Are you going to pay more? Right. Yes, but aren't you worth it? And again, this is about priorities, too. I won't get started on that, but. And then again, like maybe that yourself. means, right. Maybe that means you're doing like a meatless Monday or a couple meatless mm -hmm. um, meals during the week. You know, right. again, like it, it's all about balance. If you know you're going out on Saturday, then let me be a little bit better with things during a week because I know that there's a chance that I may order something and right. I want to be able to have the freedom to do that um, yeah. if I want to. So I just try to keep those things in mind. And if something comes up impromptu and you just go and you just want to have a good time, then do it. Just know that there might be a consequence on the back end, but you have all the tools that you need to be able to support yourself through that. Right. And I think that's, my hope for everyone dealing with endo to be able to just live right we and just want to live just want to live <laughs> and have grace for yourself because again there are going to be some days that you want the thing that you know you shouldn't have and mm -hmm. it's a roll of the dice like is this going to be the day that we can skate through or is this going to be the day that i have half of half of a half of a half and the next it day the flare is like immense so it's a toss up. It's crazy. It's but crazy because I took a bartending. I had yeah. took a bartending class. So I'm just like, ooh, you know, excited. Yeah. So I'm like tasting and sipping. <laughs> and this is liquor now, not wine. Liquor. Not wine, right. And I'm like, oh, girl, oh, no. you like one side of self had another girl. You know, you know, you are going to regret it when it comes yeah. around. And guess what? One of the easiest periods I've ever had. There you go. Two, two, two cycles later, boom, boom, it went boom. down. <laughs> right. So that's what I'm saying. Like, if it's a matter of, especially like lifetime experiences and, mm -hmm. you know, just being in the moment, do it. You only get one. Just know right. that there's some things you need to do to help your body. Um, yeah. Recalibrate. To, exactly. Exactly. And it's not abnormal to find comfort in food. And I want to <laughs> highlight that because no. <laughs> we all have our comfort foods, the foods that make us feel good, the foods that like, you know, what mm. take us back, the foods that make us reflect, the foods that take us back to our childhood, the foods mm -hmm. that do feel X, Y, Z emotion, whether it's the not, usually it's not even hunger. It's some other emotional component, right? but we have some emotional connection to food. So please don't it's a basic relationship and don't overestimate it, but have grace for yourself when you have that extra sip of, when you have that one extra bite of, when mm -hmm. you, oh, I just want that today. Just have grace for yourself and don't internalize it as something that you did wrong or that you caused yourself additional. Again, just start from scratch and start over. Right. One thing that some of my patients um, talk about is Indian food. Why? Because Indian food is high in curry, it's high in turmeric, it's high in ginger, and all of these are anti-inflammatory in nature. Yes. So you can get some of the foods that you truly enjoy with the anti-inflammatory component, component built in to the meal. So that's dairy-free. And also <laughs> dairy-free. There you go. So that's, again, <laughs> one of the um, 
one of the yeah. things that I have have learned in my process is that people start to bang up Indian food and like <laughs> people who never even liked it they're like but it works well with my endo so <laughs> we have that once or twice a week and I'm yes. like and if that's what's working work on it and it makes sense because of the anti-inflammatory nature okay Absolutely. So we're wrapping up this episode, but Miss Tiffany, are there any resources that you recommend for our listeners who want to explore endometriosis awareness and education a little bit further? Um, there are a few um, organizations. There's um, endometriosis.org. There's Endofound. Um, there's also um, Najat Medical Center. Dr. Cameron Najat is one of world-leading um, endometriosis specialist. He's based in Atlanta. I think they just opened um, one in San Diego, California, I think. His website talks a lot okay. about endo, um, giving a lot of facts. Um, endo Black is another support group. Um, and unfortunately, there is a need because, you know, women of color, we do have it a little bit harder. Um, it takes us a little bit longer to get diagnosed. Um, so Indo Black is an organization that um, really is a safe space um, and using a platform to spread um, and involve um, women of color. So that's definitely one um, that I love. The Pretty Period is another one. Okay. Um, while you're going through your endo, you might find your purpose. You might find, um, you know, other ways that you, you want to help the pretty period, check out their website. Um, and then I would say support groups. If you're a mm -hmm. part of a support group or you can find a support group, they have them on Facebook. Um, they may have them, uh, wherever your provider is, maybe at the hospital or something like that. Um, and then also, if you're on social media, find people, like use hashtags, hashtag Indo Warrior or mm -hmm. Indo to find people that are highlighting their stories um, when you're suffering. You don't, you don't want someone to go through it with you, but it's nice to know that there are people that understand. Right. Um, so social media has been great, not just for seeing people, but awareness and a lot. I learn a lot as well. Right. Um, so those are a few of the ones and Nancy's Nook Endo, yes. Nancy's yes. Nook Endo. So I love them because they, um, can give you actual endo specialists. Again, some of these people yes. say that they are and they have it on their websites. I have been to some of your, uh, health grades and you're not. <laughs> Not, you're not being truthful and it's not right it's not right, right. shame on you right um and just to highlight that nancy peterson of the nancy's nook again she is on facebook she this is the biggest endometriosis education resource online um like literally if you go and you can see their followers growing almost daily and yeah. Dr. David Redwine, who she was the nurse support for, he is one of the pioneers of endo excision surgery. And so she is a great resource for educating yourself. And please, yeah. please, please, and I'm asking this for all those who run large support groups online, some support groups are designed, or support groups are designed lamenting about your symptoms or getting potentially um, fee-free uh, consultations. But Nancy's Nook is about education. So you'll see articles, you'll get resources. So please make sure you know the type of Facebook group that you're in, because if you're the person who's always lamenting about your symptoms, it becomes a drain on the group who are trying to get information. And there is a time and place for that, but just pick and choose and know and select because again, you, there needs to be support groups so that you can talk about that, but not in a place where you're supposed to be just getting information and getting clarification about certain information. Um, the Endometriosis Foundation also, the Center for Endometriosis Care, um, these are national and international groups. So again, there is no shortage of help, but again, advocating for yourself is going to be key in this whole process the pain the suffering the misunderstanding the is coupled with the propagation of these things continuing to happen mm -hmm. the longer you stay with someone who is mistreating you the longer that person stays in business and continue to hurt other people 
However, when you just like you leave a positive review for somebody, if somebody is being harmful, and I'm not talking that they just gave you the side eye or they looked at you funny. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about taking the time to understand, to care, to invest in your care, in you as a person, mm -hmm. to understand what you're going through. The same way you would leave a good review or a positive review. Also, emotions, emotions aside, if someone is not taking care of you, let that be known as well, but in a healthy way so that that individual does not continue to harm and hurt other individuals right. because that's not cool either. So again, we have more power as patients than we take hold of because again, if someone continues to hurt people and now there's a paper trail of it on all the different places that you can leave reviews, that they're not going to stay in business. And it's not the idea is to put someone out of business. It's to stop you from hurting other people. And I right. think we also under, we underestimate our power in that, in that capacity. And so ending our part one of five, are there any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to bear on this particular episode? Um, whether you're living with endo or not, or any other chronic illness or not, um, just find your voice. Yeah. Um, listen to yourself, listen to your body, journal, find your strength and don't do this alone, whether it's endo or anything else. Don't do it alone. Um, if you don't have any family, you know, support groups, any other thing, just reach out and don't do it alone. And you're so much stronger than you think you are. So just keep pushing. All right. And there's hope. There's, there's hope. hope. I'm living proof that there is hope. There is hope. I love that. So stay tuned for part two of five of Endometriosis Awareness Month. Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you. Take a look at the show notes for more information about today's guest, their contact information, and associated social media channels. Think about one gem you can take away from this episode and apply to your own life. Also, please follow the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and comment telling us what you're enjoying and what you'd like to see more of in future episodes. Till we meet again, remember to nourish your flourish and see you next time.